Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is about water filtration. It turns out that some scientists at the University of Connecticut in stores just made a smooth version of a water filter that's 40 times smoother than what we do today that promises to make desalination possible around the world in a way that isn't possible today. Right now, we use a synthetic polymer with tons of tiny pores that let water molecules come through, but not sodium ions. The problem is that crap gets in those little pores. Things like calcium sulfate build up and then the pores don't work. So it's been really expensive to desalinate water. So now one small change in technology could radically open up our ability to get fresh water out of the oceans. And what we don't see when we sit and we do whatever we do for our living and on a daily basis. We don't see stuff like this happening in university labs, but there's more of this happening now at a faster rate than any time in human history because of changes in our ability to communicate, changes in our ability to understand the very basic reactions happening inside our cells at the very subatomic levels. And it's probably the most exciting time ever to be alive. So if you find yourself sitting there going, it's so hopeless, there's so many bad things going on, you need to rewire that crap because we have more power, more control, more ability to make a difference in a very small amount of time than in any time in human history. So things are looking pretty bright, at least from where I'm sitting, and hopefully after hearing that, maybe from where you're sitting. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Speaking of things looking pretty bright, we are about to cross an unparalleled level of views on, or not views, uh, views and reviews on iTunes. If you have an extra 10 seconds to say thanks for the show, if you go to bulletproof.com slash iTunes, it'll take you straight to the iTunes page where you can leave a five-star review that says this show's worth your time. I would love it if you did that. Bulletproof.com slash iTunes is a quick link to take you to where you can leave a review. Just let me know that I'm doing a good job for you. Thank you. Today's guest is a guy I'm really excited to interview because he's a psychotherapist, a neurotherapist, New York Times bestselling author of several different books. 
He's a well-known expert in relationships, brain health, addiction, mental illness. He's on Dr. Oz's core team of experts. You might have seen him on TV shows on VH1, TLC, The Today Show. And on top of that, the other reason I'm kind of excited to talk to him, he's got a second doctorate in clinical sexology, and he has a postdoctorate amount of training in psychopharmacology, which is what I was going to study when I made $6 million when I was 26 years old, except I lost it. So I went to work for 20 more years, and I never did study psychopharmacology, but this guy did. Full-time <laughs> license as a psychotherapist and a sex therapist and all sorts of other crazy stuff. In other words, total badass at multiple parts of what it takes to be a high-performance, highly functional, happy human being. I'm talking about none other than Dr. Mike Dow. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Dave. Thanks so much for having me and for the kind introduction. You know, I'm sort of annoyed. Uh, you and I spent four days together last week, and I didn't interview you live because I didn't realize I was scheduled to interview you today, four days after we hung out. But I saw you at JJ Virgin's event for health influencers. We had a good time uh, partying there. We sure did. And now we get to talk about all the good stuff. Yes. Right. You've been writing for a while, and you've progressed your work. In one of your early books in 2015, you talk about the brain fog fix on reclaiming focus, memory, and joy in three weeks. And then you moved on to healing your drained brain with anxiety and insomnia and balancing. And now you're talking about the subconscious. What's the evolution in your thinking when you go from one book on the brain to another to another? What's changed? Well, I think uh, a lot has changed, and I think we, uh, you know, you you started this podcast uh, talking about how things are getting better, and I think we as a society, we as a people, are also getting better in terms of how much we know, how much we know about the brain, and also what we know about the natural solutions and the evidence-based practices that work, right? Which is why I think all of your community and all these people who want to hack their biology are so excited to read uh, your books and my books. And I think we're starting to realize how profound uh, small changes, everyday changes have on the brain. I know you and I have both had our brain scanned uh, and, and, and we can actually see the brain and, and we can see these changes happening on a neurochemical level. Um, we can see the brain waves changing. And I think the, the biggest thing um, in terms of the way that most Americans are thinking is, wow, what I choose to do every single day has a profound effect on my brain, not just not just my mind, because the mind can change the brain, but on the on the brain itself. So that's kind of exciting. I ran into that that same mindset. I started out at 20, 25 years ago. I'm going to take smart drugs because my brain isn't working. And mm. after a lot of different avenues, you realize, oh, if your biology isn't working at the cellular level, your brain doesn't work. But even if you get your biology working, if you know the voices in your head are mean little bastards. Uh, then it's going to affect your biology and then it won't work. So it's all this kind of tangled spaghetti ball of, of weirdness. Um, you have an unusual amount of training in a diverse set of fields, though, which maybe makes you better suited to untangling what's really going on in there. I, I want to go back even further than, than your books. Why did you choose to study such an unusual collection of things? I mean, sex therapists and psychologists, you can see those going together, psychopharmacology. Yep. What, what was your mindset in getting all this stuff? 
Well, you know, when I was uh, 15 years old, my brother had a massive stroke that was caused by a rare brain disease. Um, And my father was a a forward thinking physician who at the time put my brother on massive doses on of fish oil uh, of omega threes when, um, you know, 20 years ago, people thought that that was that fish oil was snake oil. And that couldn't possibly have a profound effect on a brain that had a massive stroke. Right. Well, uh, we know that it absolutely does, that that is one of the many supplements that has a profound effect. And then when I, you know, I really wanted to help people and I wanted to help people in a way that was a little bit outside of the box, you know, so my, my dad was a VA physician and it was, it was very, uh, in the box medicine. And I was sort of more excited uh, in, in about the way that things like hope and the way that, uh, you know, every day I was always obsessed with food, you know, but I was obsessed with the chemical structure of food and I was obsessed with things that didn't really fit inside the box. And, you know, trust me, I heard medical school from the time I was, oh, I don't know, four years old (laughs) on up. And, and I really did not want to go to medical school, but I knew I wanted to get a doctorate in psychology. And when I started to treat people, I realized the more I treated people, the more I realized I wanted to learn. You know, I wanted to learn about neurotherapy and psychopharmacology and sex therapy uh, because human beings, we are so diverse and we are so complicated and our brains are so complicated. Um, so that's 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 why I have so much training because <laughs> I oh, and, and I'm just a nerd. Right. I just I just want to know everything about everything. Um, and I think a lot of people listening. can. OK, but hypnosis uh, okay, so some psychologists will, will use hypnosis, but you hypnotized Dr. Oz on stage or on camera, right? I did. I did. <laughs> How often do you use hypnosis, and are you trying to do it to me right now? Yeah, I, I am, and it's it's uh, it's something that I am so fascinated by. I think hypnosis is actually the most powerful mind-body medicine tool in in my in my arsenal. So, you know, I, I know that you do a lot of uh, meditation and neurofeedback. And, you know, what's so incredible about hypnosis is that it can target the brain in ways. And, it, you know, in study after study, you know, when we use hypnosis and the subconscious brain to treat fibromyalgia, IBS, it, in study after study, it works better than prescription drugs. So, you know, to me, that, that is mind boggling. And it can do things that the conscious brain can't. Uh, so there's just something incredible about the subconscious brain. And, you know, when I hypnotized Dr. Oz, you know, there was this moment on stage, you know, so I'm putting him into a trance. And by the way, his entire studio audience. Right. And he goes to commercial break. And this woman sitting uh, sitting right next to us is is sort of confused, astounded. And she turns to me and she was like, wow, that was crazy. And and you can tell that this is something uh, that works in a way that, you know, for me, I like meditation, but I love hypnosis. Um, so hypnosis, you know, we, we know that uh, from, from a brainwave point of view, that hypnosis is usually mostly alpha waves. But man, when I had my brainwave, my own brainwave scans, um, it just washes most of the brain in theta waves, which is slower and deeper uh, than those alpha waves. And you, man, you can feel it. You just, you fall so deep and it, and it really is dreamlike. And you're sort of suspending yourself in that, in that state of being awake and being asleep dreaming state, but you're in, unlike dreaming where you don't have much control, you have control of what you're painting, which I think is incredible, which is why sometimes I can treat PTSD in one or two sessions, which is just 
mind boggling to me because I used to treat it the old fashioned way, right? 20, 30 sessions and people just were dropping out like flies. So I, I think it's quite frankly, it's brain magic. It's funny because people say all sorts of stuff about Dr. Oz because people keep using his name online without his permission. And I interviewed him about that uh, maybe 30, 40 episodes ago. And having been on his show, he is one incredibly smart, well-intentioned, really smart physician, incredibly knowledgeable on a diverse range of things, pays exceptional attention to any claim you make on his show with a team of people in the room helping to vet everything ahead of time. It is a well-run operation. He is one of the smartest, just energetically focused, really good human beings I know. And there's this perception that you maybe need to be a little bit weak-minded to be able to be hypnotized. And if anyone on earth is not weak-minded who I know, it's Dr. Oz. And he's he's yes. really yeah. solid. So <laughs> what's the... I mean, can anyone be hypnotized? How does well, that work? Yeah, so I, I would agree with you uh, that all, everything you said about Dr. Oz, I, I agree with you. But I would, uh, in terms of being weak-minded and hypnosis, I would say that the opposite is true. So that there's uh, there's a lot of research that says that people who are highly intelligent, people who are highly creative, um, people who maybe you know create an empire and uh, build multi-billion-dollar companies like Dave Asprey are probably really <laughs> yeah, great right, at, <laughs> at, at becoming hypnotized. Um, I have found in my you know I, I think hypnosis is also an art. Um, so really learning to to bob and weave, you know, some people are a little bit resistant at first. And a lot of that is sort of letting your guard down. And once people feel safe and they realize that I'm not going to let, uh, try to make them bark like a dog or run around like a monkey and then forget about it. Um, I think they, they actually allow themselves to let the brain magic work. And, you know, I think you can think, you know, and by the way, my brain scans of my own brain showed, you know, I talked about these slow, theta waves taking over most of the brain, but in the back of the brain, the occipital lobe, which is that part of the brain that sees things, even when your eyes are closed, you can paint these pictures with your subconscious brain. And my own brain scans showed, my EEG showed these high, really fast beta brain waves in the back of my own brain. Um, so you can actually paint these really vivid pictures as if something is happening in real time, which is probably why it's so effective at treating PTSD. But even if you don't have PTSD, imagine if somebody was wanting to, say, start a company and uh, it was called, you know, Bulletproof Coffee or <laughs> the Bulletproof <laughs> Empire. And I wanted to help you paint that picture of what that empire may look like and what the book may look like or what that bulletproof lab in Santa Monica would actually visually look like. So it can help business people. It can help people uh, with symptoms, with mental illness. And I, I found it to be the most fascinating tool, which is why I, I talked about it a little in my book, Heal Your Drain Brain. And I'm writing an, an entire book on it next year. It's funny that the ability to see the future and to visualize it is, uh, is important for entrepreneurs. One of the things that uh, I've I've always done is is you sort of visualize what things are going to be like and then you move in that direction. But if you don't visualize it first, it doesn't work. And we've actually brought that technique from Amazon into what I do at Bulletproof. And when we start a meeting on a new initiative, we actually start out with a press release that's written five years in the future. 
that describes what people are saying, what it looks like, what it feels like, the impact it's had. And then we have an eight page write up about here's what we're actually going to do, here's the plan, and then we make a decision as an executive team about what to do. But it starts with a really carefully thought out and visualized view of the future. And yeah. yes, I also hook electrodes to my head, put myself in altered states that let me yeah. visualize and uh, and just see things happen better than I can if I'm in a normal operating mode, Dave. And could hypnosis do that, especially knowing that it's got some theta brain waves involved? involved. Yeah. It seems to make sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I love what you just said, Dave? Anybody who can see things in a visceral, visual way, and if you also allow yourself to sort of enter this dreamlike theta brainwave state where you're relaxed and you're comfortable, if you can sort of Jedi mind trick the brain into thinking that that press release is out and that you've created that, the brain thinks that that has actually happened. And then working in reverse, I mean, imagine how many goals anyone listening could create, whether you want to go back to school or you want to create an empire or a business or you want to just start something small and, and you want to build a guest house. Um, um, imagine the things that you can create with your mind. You know, I think in human behavior, we get stuck because we can't get out of our current reality. But if we can get a little glimpse of the future and have a little crystal ball and kind of feel like something has already unfolded, then it allows us to sort of become excited about it and actually create the stepping stones along the way, which is just, uh, for me, it helps me to create everything and, you know, sit down and write a hundred thousand page book. Um, so imagine what it can do for even, you know, smaller micro goals, um, which then of course become these larger, um, global goals. There are huge numbers of online hypnosis things. And I've, I've definitely over the course of years, especially as I was getting going with, uh, with biohacking, I'd pretty much bought everything <laughs> in order uh, to give it all a try. <laughs> And I, I can say some of the stuff was pretty crazy what your brain can do. Yep. Do you recommend people use you know, hypnosis audio tracks or work with a, you know, a, a clinical therapist who uh, uses hypnosis as part of their, their tool set? Like, like how would someone listening get started with hypnosis? Yeah. So, you know, this is sort of the wild, wild west. Um, you know, there are all sorts of there. You know, I, I trained with the American Society, which, you know, they'll only train people with a license. And then, you know, there are all these other schools. So there, there's a little bit of controversy of, you know, what is the best way to use it? But, you know, I think people for a beginner, you have to realize that at a very fundamental level, hypnosis is simply shifting you from a fight or flight mode to a rest and digest mode. So much like meditation, uh, if you're somebody who just wants to find that that little piece of Zen, uh, starting with an audio track online or an, you know something that you might download, I think is a great way to start. You know, if you're somebody who's experiencing symptoms, you know, and and you want to, uh, you know, I've used it to really effectively treat PTSD, um, depression, anxiety. If you're somebody who wants it to, you know, treat something a little bit more. Um, intense uh, in terms of symptoms or maybe it's a little bit more medical or psychological, anything from IBS to migraines, uh, then you really want to look for somebody who who has some advanced training and, and really uh, understands uh, what they're doing in the brain. Because some of these trainings are pretty, pretty intense and 
fascinating. Whenever you dip into the brain and you dip into theta, uh, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. So that was my next question there. You could, if you are a hypnotist, probably do bad things to people. Yeah, you could. So how would someone listening know if someone's trying to do bad things to them with hypnosis? Yeah, I, I think you always have to. And, and by the way, there were, do you, I don't know if you remember this, uh, but there were the memory wars uh, a couple decades ago where people were laying down, by the way, licensed therapists, um, because there were all these sort of false claims of sat- satanic uh, child abuse and, and things like that. Um, and we have to remember that the brain is very suggestible. Now, I don't think that those those therapists actually knew what was what was going on. Uh, so I think you have to start with, is this person, does this person have my best intentions at heart? So, you know, I don't, I don't really think going up on a stage in Vegas is necessarily the best way to get started with hypnosis, but find somebody who is really skilled, who is really fantastic at this, um, and who really doesn't want any harm to come of you and does, isn't going to lead you in the wrong directions. Because by the way, the mind is suggestible. So this isn't just a phenomenon of the, uh, subconscious, Um, so just remember how suggestible the mind is. And instead of using it against you, use that suggestibility to your benefit, um, to help you to create whatever it is that you want. So there isn't really a firewall for hypnosis that I could install tomorrow. (laughs) Well, probably not. Although I will say that your, your willingness is required. So, you know, I, I, I have found that people who really don't want to be hypnotized are just not going to be hypnotized. And I've heard that from other people in the field too. So you have to be a willing participant. No one's going to look at this, you know, look at this candle and suddenly you wake up as a chicken. Uh, that's in movies. That's not how it works. Yep. That's exactly right. Um, Okay. That, that makes good sense. In your work uh, and in your training, you also talk a lot about sex. And I've had a professional dominatrix on the show. Uh, I've had uh, someone from One Taste, actually a couple of the guys from One Taste uh, talking about the power of orgasm. Uh, My new book uh, called Game Changers that comes out in December has some interesting stuff about uh, sex. Why did you, uh, or how do you incorporate sex with hypnosis, with their clinical practice? And it's one of our core human drives, but what what's broken in that in people and how can they use it to perform better? Yeah. So relationships, I think are fundamental. I think it's, I think love is actually just sort of the thing we're all seeking at a very fundamental level. I think uh, that I've never treated a patient who did not have some sort of issue desire for good, healthy relationships. And by the way, good, healthy sex, you know, it's one of the best natural cures that we have. Um, so, you know, sort of looking at the, the intersection between the subconscious and sex, isn't it so interesting that a whole school, all this Freudian <laughs> psychoanalysis, it was, it was really based upon all of these hidden desires and your repressed urges. And, you know, a lot of that has been debunked, but, you know, there was, there were, there were a few things that Freud got right. And, you know, it's interesting that when somebody has a, a subconscious desire um, or a problem with sex or something that's un, unrealized, that a lot of times that will just be expressed uh, in the subconscious. Um, and isn't it fascinating that dreams are sort of the, the subconscious is, is where the, the, the subconscious comes to play. And it's where the subconscious is sort of un, un, 
tangled and un, you know, all the chains are, are, are set loose. Um, so for me, I, I can treat all sorts of, dis, uh, d- uh, disorders with it. Um, so it's sort of the, uh, little blue pill, uh, using the power of your mind for people who are struggling with, um, uh, impotence. It can be sort of help you to, uh, have a better relationship to call in the person, uh, that you were meant to be with. Um, so it's, it's a really powerful tool because I, I believe that for a lot of us, especially us Americans, so many of our sexual desires are sort of pressed and repressed down into the level of the subconscious. So if you can sort of bring those up, you can discover what it is that you really, uh, want to manifest in your love life and also your sex life. For someone listening today, what's the one thing they could do to have a better sex life now? If there's a theme that's coming to you in your subconscious, find a way that into your conscious relationship. So whether that's power or freedom or virility, uh, find a way that you can insert that into your real everyday waking sex life. So what you're saying there is, is if, if there's stuff that you really, really want to do, you ought to find a way to do it in your sex life. Yeah. Yeah. In a safe, sane and consensual way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm, I'm happy you said that. That's definitely uh, one of the, one of the themes in, in Game Changers coming up here uh, because I've just heard this over and over uh, these you know, dinner conversations where people don't admit stuff on the air. Uh, but even amongst really powerful and successful people, you know, they can be just deeply unsatisfied, uh, even if they have a, yeah. a somewhat satisfying marriage. And it, it's those things that you don't talk about in public, but you talk about with your friends. And it seems like it's an ongoing yeah. theme. And you would, of course, hear it as a therapist all the time. Well, and I think I think we have to remember that sex is the way that adults play. And I think a little bit of playing is really fantastic for the brain. So if you can figure out the way that you like to play and do it in a way that makes sense for you, um, you're going to be a little bit uh, happier and probably a lot more productive also. Um, I haven't ever heard it put that way before. Sex is the way adults play. Uh, Tell me more about that. In so many ways, uh, play is essential for human beings. So as, as children, play helps the brain to develop. So we know that children who don't play are not happy, healthy individuals. And just because we stop being children doesn't mean that we lose that that desire to play, right? So think about all those things that we used to do. And and by the way, theta, the dominant brainwave of a child. So um, is is that's why children can have imaginary friends and role play and oh I'm gonna do this and let's have some tea, right? And and as a child you're playing in that childlike fantasy way. And by the way, that's because theta is that dominant brainwave frequency at that age. Then we when we become adults and our brain waves are tend to be more uh, dominated by beta and alpha and faster brain waves, a lot of adults just say, oh, well, I'm, a, I'm an adult now, so I don't need to play anymore. When we lose our playfulness, when we lose that space, that time to play, uh, I think really bad things happen. I think human beings get very anxious. I think they lose their sense of creativity. So when you look at all of these um, movies and you see that there is this, and by the way, a 
treated uh, uh, many patients with with uh, with stories like these. When you see the high powered attorney who figures out that he just really loves to play in a certain way with uh, you know a dominatrix in a in in sort of this role play, it's it's wow. He gets to he gets to play pretend, right? <laughs> in a lot of ways, you know, he's like, he's like the grown up version of the kid who come to my magical fortress and have some tea with me and I'm a dragon and you're a princess, right? But he's doing it in a different way. So in a lot of ways, you know, sex and, you know, sort of, you know, and we don't all have to, uh, it doesn't have to be that, uh, that extreme, but I think if we can find those little ways that we play, um, in our sex lives, uh, I think we'll all be, be, be happier and healthier. What are some of the other ways uh, that adults play that maybe aren't sex? Yeah, I think playfulness should be incorporated into our business lives, which is why I love hypnosis. You know, I love when people can paint pictures of what they see and then manifest them uh, because that when you lose, uh, I was just doing a session today with uh, somebody and we, you know, we were just talking about this, this huge, you know, I treat a lot here in Los Angeles. I treat a lot of, you know, attorneys and celebrities and CEOs and, 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 and sometimes with their, these high level, high level performers and and people at a certain level, we lose that thing, that joy, that, that little spark of creativity. And if we can connect with that and bring the playfulness back, sometimes our, our businesses are better. So it doesn't matter how successful you become. Um, injecting a little bit of playfulness and keeping it um, in your in your work life, which is why uh, you and I were having so much fun in, in San Diego last weekend, right, is is finding a way where you don't lose that inner joy in work is is absolutely vital. I'm actually going to talk a little bit about uh, what we did uh, this past weekend. Uh, JJ Virgin, who's been on the show a couple times and is a New York Times bestselling author and nutritionist, uh, who healed her son's traumatic brain injury that almost killed him uh, and has talked about that stuff at length. She puts on a, a meeting for 500 authors and health influencers and doctors, and she has a, a costume party, right? which is not what you do at a health conference. They don't do that at any of these conferences. I mean, I've been on keynote stages for 20 years in technology, and the number of times it's been a, a, a costume party is zero. Uh, and so here you have a bunch of these, uh, you know, doctors and people, uh, you know, dressed as you know, superheroes and and all sorts of all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, one of our friends who's been on the show, who shall remain nameless, came as Borat, uh, Mankini, and all. Uh, and you know, the the theme of this party was you know, dressed as a rock star or a legend. And uh, when my costume didn't arrive in time, uh, I was going to be Steve Jobs. Pretty easy, right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I went to Nordstrom Rack and I'm like, there is no costume here. So I picked up a dress that JJ would wear for 35 bucks and I showed up <laughs> wearing a pink dress. And I'm like, well, they said dress like a rock star. I dressed like the rock star in the room. And uh, it turns out I wasn't the only one. There were like three or four other JJs in the room. But I can tell you, I have never actually worn a dress <laughs> um, to a costume party with last minute thing. And I just showed up wearing my toe shoes and that. But it was it was actually hilarious. And it was very much a night of just playing. And everyone had a great time. 
uh, it just showing up not as you know a white lab coat or you know a business suit and all that sort of thing. And I think that she does that in part because you know that that need to play is something that people who are in the public eye or are just always writing, always seeing patients, always working, working. There's just never an excuse to do it. So building into a conference, I thought was was uh, very unusual and also a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, I have no idea how women wear dresses. Good God. Uh, but just that that idea that that okay we could build that into some of our our events where you know people dress up as whatever rock star legend uh that they decide to do uh, how would you advise uh, people to go about adding playfulness so that their brains work better uh, just say on a weekly basis I, I mean okay great you're in a relationship you might play in the bedroom but outside of that yep. are, are there adult uh, activities i mean bouncy castles. I have no idea. But like, what do you see works with patients so that we can systematically build a habit of play into our lives as adults? Yeah, I, I think we have to really look at the way the brain needs to sort of have little, you know, when we talk about learning, we have to chunk our time, right? And and our brain needs these times to really be productive and then and then stop or to learn and then stop learning so that it can integrate this information. And I think that if we give our brains these little periods of rest and then ask ask yourself what is that one activity that makes me laugh or that I'm just so interested in like is it cars is it planes is it dressing up like a rock star is it um <laughs> dressing up like a pony and have some dominatrix <laughs> You know, like what, what is that thing that just like brings you so much joy? Because, you know, I, I don't, I don't have one answer. You know, I, th- I feel like I've in, in treating, you know, I don't know, thousands and thousands of patients at this point. It's the answer that I hear. I've heard, I've heard every, you know, and especially now as a sex therapist, I've heard everything under the sun. So, you know, it's, what makes you laugh spontaneously the most? And then find the way that that thing can, you know, Dave, and I think, my my best answer to that question is how do you find little mini ways to inject that not into your like oh one day i'm going to go to the you know the aerospace museum and i'm going to save up for this big trip and that's going to be really fun for me you know or you know once a year we'll we'll go to this costume party no it's finding those little mini injections of fun and something that makes you laugh and that makes your soul light on, on a weekly or maybe even a daily basis. Um, so, you know, I, I know that, uh, for me laughing, um, you know, my partner is an ER doctor who works all nights. And when we don't laugh, it's, it's not good. You know, I, I just, I just turned in my next book. I was writing 16 hours a day. He was working 12 hour overnights. And when we don't laugh, we cry. So, you know, like I think the, the fun that we have together is, is, is part of the magic. And, you know, we can go to a, a boot camp class and do some, um, high intensity interval training together and have a, and end up laughing a lot. And, and I think that's part of what keeps, you know, our magic alive. And, and I, I think that for all of us, we have to find those, those ways that we don't take ourselves so seriously. And I think if you're um, a CEO or a doctor, or if you just live in Los Angeles where everyone seems to take themselves really seriously, um, don't forget to laugh and not take yourself too seriously. So maybe you should dress up like Barat or our friend JJ, and it could help a lot. Well, I'm going to Burning Man, so I'm just hoping to fit, you know, an entire year's worth of playing into about five days. So, we'll, we'll yeah, see if that works. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic <laughs> way to play. Yep. 
All right. I'm not sure that there's a, a big takeaway uh, for, for people listening there other than you know, find, find whatever makes you laugh and do more of that. And what I find is, is it's really hard as a parent uh, you know, and as a CEO and author and all the other stuff, it, it's hard to carve out time on the calendar. You know, I, I, I can't, well, I, I don't know how to put an hour, you know, Friday at three o'clock. This is playtime. Cause like, what are you going to yeah. do? And so I, I've been working on that too, because having fun is important, but figuring out how to make sure you have time to have fun when you have 5,000 demands is something I think all of us are dealing with on some level. Yeah. yeah. That's why I, I love our, our, our dogs are great. You know, yeah. I think there are certain things in this world where, you know, we have two little rescue pups and if we play ball with them for 10 minutes and the voices we use with them, it's like, oh, wow, we're children again. I'd like to swap gears. So let's assume we're all having a little bit more fun. Uh, maybe just listening to podcasts is all the fun you need, right? <laughs> but uh, you wrote a fascinating book with your brother about stroke recovery. And and what I yeah. what I've found from starting 40 years of Zen, the, the neurofeedback company for executives um, that I, I got off the ground and, and designed the curriculum for, something like 90% of the people who come through there have electrical evidence of having a hit to the head. Probably when they were kids, you know, oh yeah, I forgot when I was 12, I fell off my bike kind of thing. But you can still see it in their brain electrical signals. So it seems like traumatic brain injuries are actually the rule, they're the norm, not the exception. That's absolutely true. Okay, so, so you wrote a book about called Healing the Broken Brain, where you ask 100 people how to recover from strokes. But a stroke is one of the many kinds of brain injury you need to recover from. I took a, a knee to the head a couple of years ago that had me, you know, the next day I was light sensitive, sound sensitive, couldn't play go fish with my my kids. My working memory was shot. And I'm grateful. I ha I know all this stuff. You know, I took all the high dose fish oil. I took all the mitochondrial enhancers. Gee, I manufacture them so because I have them on tap, right? And a bunch of other stuff. And even then, I I kind of came back after two three weeks, but I had to sit down with neurofeedback and get things put back together again. Otherwise, I mean, I was swearing a lot. I was super cranky. Sent some emails I probably shouldn't have sent. And you don't even know that you're doing that. You're kind of looking for stuff that, that is out of norm for you, but it feels very justified at the time. Uh, yep. Or how big of an issue are these traumatic brain injuries, these little hits to the head, just in society at large? It's crazy that, as you said, most people don't even realize that they are survivors of a traumatic brain injury. Um, and I'm just going to reframe it in, in this way, Dave, because, you know, when I wrote this book about stroke recovery from my, from, with my brother, there were a couple takeaways. Um, let's just say that because we are all aging, unless you take all of the supplements that Dave manufactures <laughs> that are going to help you to not, probably some other you know, ones all, too. All, of, all of our brains are shrinking, uh, just a little bit every year. And there's, you know, especially B vitamins and hopefully methyl versions of B vitamins and fish oils can help prevent a little bit of that brain shrinkage. Um, but we all sort of have brains that are aging and shrinking all the time. And some are just more pronounced than others. So yeah, I think that tra traumatic brain injury, falling off your bike, and things that you don't even remember that show up in, in some of these tests are, are actually the norm rather than the exception. And you know, I think the lesson that stood out, even though this was a book on stroke and it is when it comes to the brain, use it or lose it. But I think even more so than that, it's 
you know, use it and improve it. So, you know, if there is something in your brain and, and maybe a QEEG shows a, a weakness or a traumatic brain injury or SPECT or fMRI and we see something, um, but you don't even need this advanced brain in imaging. If your brain is not working in a way and you're anxious or irritable or you're, you just don't feel like your optimal self, I say to my patients all the time, feelings are information. So your feeling is information that may, that your brain is not working in the best way possible. And if that is true, in some way you have a brain injury because there's something that's a little bit off. And we have to remember, use it and improve it. So maybe it's your prefrontal cortex and you could thicken that with meditation. Or maybe it's another part of your brain that you could strengthen with um, uh, hypnosis. Or maybe it's fish oil that could prevent some of the, the shrinking in your brain. Or maybe it's um, you know aerobic exercise so that you could um, expand and, and grow uh, the hippocampus in the brain. But no matter what, use it or lose it and use it and improve it. So no matter what you do, it's leaning in to the experiences that are challenging, not finding the things that are easy for us. Because when my brother had a massive stroke, you know, he couldn't use his right side at all. Guess what happens if you just use the left side of the body? That that's, you know, the the working side of his brain dies. And if you're impatient and you don't develop that as a skill, you are just going to continue to be impatient. So leaning into the, the experiences that teach you to be patient and doing the thing that is the hardest for you is a way that we can all rewire and grow our brains. And, you know, that's why I, I, I get so excited about the brain, because we have the power to change it every single day. Is there something we should be doing, uh, say, OK, maybe have a mini stroke or maybe you just whacked your head really hard? Is there something that you'd recommend everyone do after interviewing 100 experts on this stuff? What should you write away? Okay, you fell, you hit your head, you're water skiing, you, know, you, you, you took a, a bad fall, you stood up and hit the cabinet. I mean, stuff happens all the time. By the, my wife yep. got a real TBI from standing up and hitting her head on a cabinet, uh, which was totally annoying. Um, at least if you're the cabinet. <laughs> anyway, what should people do right after it happens? What, what would the first thing to do be? Well, you know, if it's something major, you know, you should go rule out, uh, you should go to the hospital if it's something major. But if it's something more minor, uh, I think you should really be on the lookout for symptoms and you should really, so many of us walk around with these brains that aren't working in some area or the other, and we just sort of shrug it off and, and we say, oh, well, oh, well. Um, but I think so many of us have an opportunity uh, to actually optimize the brain with uh, omega-3s, with uh methyl versions of B vitamins with uh, neurofeedback and, and all of these things, you know, um, HBOT and uh, hyperbaric and all of these things that actually can help to grow the brain. And, and a lot of people just sort of accept traumatic brain injury as, as sort of the, the par for the course when really there's so much that we can do to fix the broken brain. It's important to go to the hospital. It's also important just to tell the people around you what's going on. Uh, when I I hit my head. I went to the hospital and uh, it helps my wife as an ER doctor, right? So she said, let's go. And they did some sort of imaging of my brain. I don't remember because I have amnesia from that time. And uh, the doctor looked at me and said, oh, you have a, a mild bleeding in your brain, uh, which if you have a lot of it can sort of kill you. And then they have to do all sorts of surgeries and whatever. Um, but you need to not travel uh, for a little while, you know, you need to take it easy, rest, recover. And I 
this is, I don't remember this, but apparently this happened. I looked at the guy and I said, great, so everything's fine. I'm going to be on this trip uh, tomorrow. And, and I, everything you said just did not even land in my brain. And uh, my wife, Lana, she just looked at the doctor and said, oh, don't worry, I've got this. I, I've seen it before. But you literally don't process reality the right way after you've hit your head. And it doesn't have to be that big of a hit in order for this to happen. But if people know that's what's going on, you get a sort of get out of jail free card. Because I have other friends um, who, who shared, you know, they, they took a hit to the head and, and they almost lost their marriage over it because they suddenly turned into a jerk, right? Yeah. And, and so this is happening, but I think it's largely invisible. It's not a part of our national conversation. And you think it's it's something that, you know, maybe happens after a big car accident, but it can happen from a smaller thing. And if your brain is well taken care of beforehand, if you're taking the right supplements, you'll probably take less of a hit. And if you take the right stuff afterwards, uh, you're probably going to like how you feel much more quickly than otherwise. I, I find that relationships are the one area where TBIs surface the most, some of the minor ones. Uh, so it's it's fascinating when I do couples therapy and one or or sometimes both of the people have a TBI and, and, and the way that that is the person who actually sees the TBI in action, right? Irritability, mood swings, and that person can kind of put on a mask in the outside world, but that the person who, you know, is that person's partner really sees the TBI in action. So if, you, if you're feeling that way, uh, remember that there are so many things that can help. Um, so it, it's uh, probably outside the scope of this interview to go through, how do you fix a broken brain? But I mean, Mark Hyman did a broken brains docuseries. Um, you've got your healing the broken brain book, Daniel Amen, who's been on the show a couple times has done uh, profound uh, work in the space. And so there's a bunch of people working on this. And I've just encouraged people listening, you know, if you hit your head and you're acting different or you haven't felt the same sense, even if it was a couple of years ago, you can reverse that stuff. Listen to the interview with Dr. Uh, Paul Harch, uh, the guy who wrote the book on oxygen in the brain and uses hyperbaric. Um, look at what ketones do. There's just all these tool sets. And funny enough, every one of those things increases your cognitive performance if you didn't hit your head anyway. So those belong in your tool set. And that's one of the reasons I put a lot of that stuff at Bulletproof Labs in Santa Monica, where you know, we, we want you to have the things that make your brain stronger, regardless of whether it's starting from an old injury or whether you just wanted it to work better now. And I, I'm really hopeful that we'll have a, a, a renaissance in just making the brain work better because it, it feels like there's a lot of low hanging fruit. I, I think all of us in, in this country with our smartphones coming at us 24 seven, uh, with some of the stress that we don't know how to, you know, sort of reframe in the correct way are dealing with these brains with, 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 we're dealing with brains that are sort of at a 50% charge level. And, and so we have to figure out ways to, to really optimize these, uh, you know, all, by the way, I think most of us are walking around with a brain that could be, uh, optimized in some way. So in a lot of ways, most most of us are walking around with a broken brain. Um, it's uh, it, sadly the case. Um, so I, I think things are, things are going to get better there. And one of the things that helps in any of those situations is uh, perseverance and, or grit, whatever you want to call it. And I mean, you practice uh, psychology, work with patients and all. Uh, what's, the, what's the role of perseverance and effort and willpower in having a better brain or maybe even healing a broken brain? Hope and your willingness to get better is, is always is paramount, right? So uh, I think somebody who doesn't have hope and somebody who can't see the light at the end of the tunnel isn't going to persevere. So if you can identify with that 
that that spark that gives you hope, uh, that keeps you going. You know, you hear all these stories of people who just lost the will to live and they don't live. And then you hear people who, uh, like my brother who say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to not only live, I'm going to do way better than the doctors told me that is my potential. And that's exactly what my brother did. And, and so if you can identify with that, that spark within you, uh, I think that gives all of us the ability to, to persevere. And that, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, um, life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon for all of us. And that's especially true when it comes to any sort of recovery process. Um, so if you can identify that and remember that every day, it really gives you the, um, it puts the fuel in your tank so you can, you can go the distance. Um, it's, uh, willpower is one of those mushy areas where I, I feel like it's partly biological and it's partly your picture of the future. And if you know that's how it's going to be, uh, you can get there. So I, I feel like tools like hypnosis and visualization and meditation all do increase willpower just because the body listens to stuff that doesn't always make sense. There are some crazy things, Dave, that come up in, in, in my sessions with patients and the things that and the images and the energies, I'll call them, that come up for people and some of the things that they report in on. And some of them are, you know, I, I'm not telling people what they should believe in, but, you know, oh, I saw my 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 grandmother or an angel or, you know, I saw this light within me in my my drive and I saw it as this ball of fire. The stuff that comes up for people, I it, I think it really helps people to, to keep to keep going. Um, so if you could just maybe do a mini hypnosis session and close your eyes and, you know, go down an elevator and find whatever that image is for you. Um, and remember the subconscious really loves images and, and energies, and it doesn't really like, you know, sort of this left hemisphere logic and, you know, thinking in words and sentences. Um, sometimes it can really help people to keep going. Are all those things real, you know, energies, you know, uh, whatever angels, all the, all the stuff you listed there, the inner fire. I mean, are those things that exist? Are those things we're making up in our head? Well, you know, I will say this. They say that theta uh, is where the angels uh, and the demons would would live if you believe in angels and demons. Um, so I will say that. But I also will say in terms of these energies um, and maybe moving away from sort of the, you know, sort of spiritual slash religious or mystical and, and moving towards energies. I will say that, you know, some of these tracks that help people to visualize um concrete goals in metaphors, uh, like taking, um, something like pain and seeing it in a ball and giving that ball a color. And then when we research that, um, and we put it in clinical trials or, you know, a randomized, uh, uh, study up against a prescription drug, these, these, these audio tracks that use these metaphors of energies and colors, tend to work better than prescription drugs. So in, in, for, for a lot of disorders, you know, I'm not for a lot of disorders. So there is something about um, this sort of metaphysical way of speaking, uh, especially when it comes to the subconscious brain that actually really works. And I'm, uh, that if you look at some of these mainstream journals um, that it's, you know, the, it's, it's outperforming prescription drugs. And it's just, these studies are just blowing my mind, especially when we're dealing with difficult to treat elusive conditions like chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or IBS or these things that more and more Americans are autoimmune conditions, right? That more and more Americans are suffering with. And it's some, it's 
talking about your disease as a ball of energy that I'm going to help you to visualize that, that helped to relieve your pain or weight that helped, you know, somehow tapped into the mitochondria in your cells and woke them back up. Like what? Well, yeah, that's what we're finding. I, I, you know, and, and a lot of it is sort of, well, we don't know why that works. We can tell you, uh, sort of the theories and we can look at the brain scans and have, we have these, we have the, we have, I have a hypothesis of why that works. Uh, but we, we know that in, in these, in these, in these studies that it does work. So it, yeah, I think there is something to it. It's a bit of a trick question. I, I asked Jack Canfield the same thing when I interviewed him. It was fascinating because he was, he just kind of sat back and was like, well, of course, I, I don't know what you want to call him, but of course that stuff is real because all of my clients <laughs> yeah, yeah. who kick the most ass, he didn't say it in exactly those words. They all have something like that. And you know, this is just how it is. And it was, was just super open. It, it was, it was fascinating. And then, okay. I have neuroscientists looking at brain states and yes, we can train theta and we know what happens in theta and I can pick out the brain waves of people who are more likely to say, Oh yeah, I perceive that as, you know, that energy is, is, you know, this kind of thing or another. And some brains are wired to see things better than others. And yep. No, that isn't taught in clinical textbooks. That's just what you see when you look at a lot of brain waves, um, and that's you know something I've, I've my own twenty years of doing neurofeedback. I've I think the technical term is I, I've tripped balls uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. way more from neurofeedback in certain states, um, theta uh, theta states in particular or alpha theta borders in specific regions of the brain than I have from any ayahuasca things with shamans in Peru. Uh, which is pretty amazing. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in there, but we don't see it most of the time and different people see different things. I have no idea what you want to call it. Um, some people give it religious names, some people give it spiritual names, some people call it energy. I don't really care, but there's something valuable in there that is uh, that you can use uh, to turn on your energy. And what those clinical studies you're saying, I talk about it there, the clinical studies on neurofeedback, on hypnotism, there's good data that even if we don't have a good explanation that we're 100% sure of for why it works, we can tell you if you do A, you usually get B. And yep. the science may take a thousand years or five years to figure out all the little things between A and B. In the meantime, I'll take B. Like I like the outcome and I'll do whatever it is. And if it turns out that there's actually an army of little Smurfs that, that are invisible, make it, I don't <laughs> care, man. Go to work, Smurfs. It doesn't matter. I just I want the results, uh, right? And I'm with you, Dave. And man, does it feel good. So now all the studies aside, I, like you, feel like I tripped balls the first time I did alpha-theta training with neurofeedback and the first time I had to be the patient um, in my uh, clinical hypnosis training. And, and of course, alpha-theta uh, neurofeedback and hypnosis are both really suspending the brain and theta. And you, I would I would call both experience, you know, they're, they're very similar in what they're doing in terms of brainwaves. And I feel like I sometimes trip balls on it and I feel like I feel high. I feel really good. And, you know, my basal ganglia so that, you know, that same part of the brain that lights up with cocaine um, in a spec scan that was lighting up like a firecracker for me under hypnosis. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, so these are states that people can get from deep breathing, uh, from hypnosis. We've got a virtual float tank. I have one uh, here at my house. We have it at, at Bulletproof Labs. There's light sound goggles and you're laying on your back in this thing that spins like a record player to turn off parts of your nervous system like a float tank does. And all these things are out there. And if people have never experienced any of that stuff because they don't play, they don't have that part of their self-care, um, there's huge untapped performance from just letting that part of the brain do its thing. Uh, and I, 
in my own life, I repressed my theta brainwaves enormously because to graduate from high school, um, I would go uh, fluorescent lights for a lot of kids, um, but especially for me. After a while, they put you in a theta state, just a disordered, like numb state. So Mm -hmm. I learned to just crank down on that so I could at least fall asleep only halfway through class from crappy lighting. Uh, So for me to be able to train that was a huge amount of work so I can go into that creative, intuitive state uh, and I've literally written the outline for my first book. It was after a very deep neurofeedback session. I kind of came out of this bizarre altered state, picked up a pen, wrote down the entire outline for my fertility book, and had a book agent two weeks later and a book deal a month later. Just, I don't know where that came from, but that wasn't my conscious thinking. I wrote the book with my conscious thinking, but I envisioned the book in a in a dream state induced with electrodes. And, and no one talks about that stuff, but that's where a lot of the world's greatest uh, uh, sparks come from, like right when you wake up in the morning, right when you're in the shower. And so I feel like bringing that into the world as something that high-performing people do, not just dreamers, might be of benefit. Do you agree? Uh, it's how Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. And that was he was sort of suspending himself in theta, and that's when he was at his most creative. So we could say that, yes, uh, that thanks to theta – Thomas Edison gave us electricity and the, you know, the, the light bulb that lights, you know, uh, our world up with electricity. So, so yes, I, I would agree. And my best ideas have come to me through subconscious uh, based practices. Uh, the light bulbs for me just bing, bing, bing all the time. And, and they don't feel deliberate. Um, you know, the subconscious is effortless and, and it, and it, you know, the, the conscious has to painstakingly weigh things and, and create in a very diligent way. The subconscious is easy and effortless. We have one more question for you, Mike. If someone came to you tomorrow and they said, uh, Mike, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being, what are your three most important pieces of advice? Just three. What would you offer them? Uh, love. Who is the person uh, that really fills your your heart with love and spend time around that person or those those people or those animals? Uh, because without love, I think everything else is just meaningless, right? So even even the great ideas and the light bulbs and the books and the and the businesses without love, I think everything else is meaningless. So number one, love. Uh, you know, number two, it, it really is making room for the the creative subconscious based juices to flow. So if giving yourself space, whether you find it in a float tank or a deprivation state or um, breathing or kundalini yoga or neurofeedback or hypnosis, if you give yourself that state, something is going to come through that is probably going to be a purpose driven, passion driven uh, way for you to live your life and have fun. So, you know, number three, don't forget to laugh. You know, we talked a lot about play today. Um, don't forget to laugh and don't, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, you know, I, it doesn't matter if you're making, um, you know, 50,000 or $50 million a year. If you take yourself too seriously, uh, I think really bad things happen. And if you can remember, uh, the playfulness and the fun and the joy and the light and everything you do, man, you're going to have a, a, a really good time on the face of this planet in this life. Uh, beautiful advice. Uh, you've been listening to Dr. Mike Dow. Funny enough, his website is drmikedow.com. Uh, we talked about a couple books. Heal Your Drained Brain is one of the books. And Healing the Broken Brain is another one. 
And you've, you've got a very unique take on things. And I, I would encourage uh, people who've been listening and liked what you had to say to check out one of your books. Definitely worth reading. Mike, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to bulletproof.com slash iTunes and leave that review I asked you to do earlier. Or maybe go to Amazon and review one of my books. And while you're at it, order one of Mike's books. A little bit of reading, a little bit of letting people know what's worth your time to listen to and to read to is always a good way to be grateful. Thank you. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.